Good afternoon, folks. Welcome to the Health Lab. I am your host, Joel Bland. Today's episode, very, very interesting guest we have today. I'm, I'm really excited about it, to be honest. Uh, today's guest is Adrienne Wheaton. I, I'm not going to get into details about her job or anything like that. I, I just want to say that today's episode is really a story about perseverance, overcoming obstacles, and developing new perspectives on life after facing adverse conditions. A um, little bit of a teaser, Adrienne is an avid rock climber and she suffered a, a catastrophic injury a few years back. I'm not gonna get into details about what that was. I will let her talk about it, but let's just say, you know, it, it was a life-changing injury and, and she came out of it looking at life a little bit differently afterwards. It's, it's such an amazing story of perseverance and, and grit and again, overcoming obstacles, overcoming adversity. Very, very inspiring. And, and you know, talking with Adrienne and reading about her and doing research about her life and what she has gone through has really inspired me and, and, and you know, it, it even fostered a new perspective for myself, for my own life. So really excited just to get down to the nitty gritty with Adrienne and talk about what she's been through, you know, how it's actually ended up benefiting her in the long run and how it can benefit you as well. So let's get right down to business with Adrienne Wheaton. All right, let's get into it. Adrienne Wheaton, thanks so much for joining me in the health lab today. Thanks for having me, Joel. So I, I want to start, well, I want to talk about a few things. I want to talk about your background, your experiences, your career, and, and your interests, and, and somehow tie it all together in the end. I, I want to start with your, your move from Ontario to BC. I know you, you grew up in Ontario, and you came to BC a little bit over a decade ago. Can you talk about that? What, what led to that move? Yeah, yeah. I, I came out here um, in 2007 to visit my brothers who had both moved out here years previous. And so I wanted to come out and spend part of the summer with them because I knew they climbed and had a completely different lifestyle uh, than what I had in Ontario. And so I, I did that. I spent a month in the summer and by December of that same year, I had quit my job and sold my house and most of my belongings um, and came out here. I was, you know, having, I, for lack of a better term, it was definitely a bit of a midlife crisis and I needed change. I was no longer happy in Ontario. So it was very stressful to quit a good teaching career and uh, let go of the pension, the, the safety of it all. But I knew that something had to give. So then I came out here. Very interesting. And you know, you're not as soon as you said that story, my wife has basically the exact same story. So she's from <laughs> Oshawa originally. Yeah. Um, came out here. I think it was 2007 or 2006. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to I'm going to confirm that with her later today to to visit her brother who was oh, living sweet. out here. Yeah, and then no joke. It was I think six or eight months later she had packed up her stuff, quit her job, and moved out here as well. 
It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So best thing I ever did really hardest thing, but also the best thing. Yeah. I couldn't, couldn't imagine going back. Interesting. So big transition. I mean, you mentioned stressful discomfort, going through a lot of life changes. Absolutely. I was getting a divorce, throw that in the mix, um, trying to figure out what I was going to do with my career because I wasn't sure if I wanted to keep teaching. Um, I was finding that really just mentally exhausting. Um, Didn't know where I was going to live. Didn't know anybody in town except my brothers. So it's not like I moved out here and it was Uh, Rosie from the get-go those first few years were very challenging and if I didn't have family here I'm not actually sure if I would have stayed Um, but I'm glad I did it was just a a mix of many things happening at that time. No kidding and did you move right to Squamish? I oh boy here love this one so I made a pit stop um, in the Kootenays on the way I lived at um, an ashram for three months I was out there to train as a yoga teacher initially because I thought maybe that would be a path for me Um, and I was also struggling just with my own mental health I've been um diagnosed years earlier with body dysmorphia and so part of the reason I stopped teaching was because of that I just it was taking over too much of my life and of my thinking and so the hope was to come and get some clarity um, and maybe improve uh, the mental health but you know probably as well as I do that your baggage comes with you. And so just because I was in a different province didn't solve everything, but it at least started me on the path. So I did the first three months in the Kootenays, which was lovely and beautiful, and then flew into to Squamish. Wow, that's such an interesting story. Thanks for sharing that as well. Uh, yeah, no problem. I, I learned to be able to talk about it more freely um, now because I hid it for too many years and um, that serves nobody and it certainly didn't help me and so being able to talk about it um, it, it, it does it's just therapeutic to not feel like I'm hiding anymore yeah and and I mean I agree you know, I mean, I, I, along with pretty well everyone else out there has, has struggled with, you know, mental health stuff here and there and, and have overcome my own limitations and my own fears. And, you know, I find I, I've, I have personally attempted to suppress things or repress things um, to no avail in the past. So, you know, I, I feel like that only works for so long until it boils over and erupts. 100 (laughs) percent yes yes there's only so long i think the human shell can contain um all of that and it manifests in many ways and a lot of them aren't aren't great Uh, but you know we do what we do with what we have at the time and 
So I've also learned to look back and kind of look back with a bit of kindness um, on myself and what I maybe tried to do in these attempts to survive and to keep going. So maybe decision-making wasn't always the greatest, um, but it was just self-protection really um, to make it through another day. Wow. No, I like that too. And just the, the kindness and, and, and the compassion side of things and being compassionate to yourself and, and giving yourself the space and, and, and the time to overcome these types of things and to address these types of things. Yeah. 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 How does, so I, I'm going to, I want to tie this in because that's, that's a very important thing. And it seems like overcoming adversity seems yeah. to be a bit of a trend in your life. Way. You know, I, I have had a very privileged life. There's no denying that. I, I have a wonderful, supportive family. I generally want for nothing, but internally, yeah, it's been a lot of overcoming things. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. How does that fit in? Because I'm, I'm going to tie in climbing to this because I know mm -hmm. climbing has been a big part of your life, rock climbing. How did you, well, how did you initially get into it? When I came for that first visit, my brother dragged me out. And I think it might've been on the third time we went out, he took me up partway up the chief. Um, so if you know Squamish at all, you know the giant rock when you roll into town, um, 2000 feet high. So we went up about halfway up that um, I was in tears for a portion of it because I still didn't understand the systems and how the systems would keep me safe up there. Um, it was very unnerving, but clearly uh, there was something in it that I loved because I kept coming back for more. So when I moved out here, finally, the following year, I just got right into it immediately never thought I would. And, and it, it's remarkable what um, that sport has done for my mental health, um, just well-being in general. So Wow, super cool. I've never, ugh, you know what, I've done a little bit of stuff here and there at, you know, cliffhanger and the hive and that yeah. kind of thing. But I, I'm an avid hiker. I love hiking, um, but haven't yet dipped my toes into actual rock climbing with with ropes and all that kind of thing and I've heard amazing amazing things and you're clearly living that as well worth a try if you you know if you've climbed in the gyms that's usually a stepping stone so you know when you're ready you know uh you know where I am come up here and we can go on the real rock hey I'm I'm going to take you up on that offer Definitely. I'd be happy to <laughs> Okay, so you, you said you said it does wonders for well being. Can you yeah. can you talk about that a little bit more? What what does it do for you? Yeah, um, I think. I mean, clearly, there's physical um, benefits to it, right? Just being in shape and the strength and all of that that you gain, but it's um, the mental side of it that I love. So. For somebody who has um, terribly obsessive thinking, often negative thinking, which goes hand in hand 
with dysmorphia, um, climbing focused my mind and continues to in a way that nothing else could. So, you know, I learned very well how to distract myself in life um, with some things maybe that weren't so good to be distracted by, but with climbing, you are laser focused on the task at hand, which is not falling, um, figuring out the puzzle of how to get from the bottom of the rock to the top of the rock. And so everything in your being is, is centered and focused around that. And so it allowed me to really just tune out the, the rest of the world and my own sort of the tape that's constantly running in my head. Um, so that initially, you know, drew me to it. And then the confidence um, that comes from seeing that you can do something you never thought you could. And, and then the growth through it, you know, just progressing from, from level to level um, really does something for how just your self-image in a positive way. Certainly. I mean, that's, that's so cool. I mean, you, you mentioned a few things there. So obviously, you know, there's the physical endurance and strength and stamina it requires. There's the root planning and then there's the emotional side of things too. So it's, it's, it's targeting the physical, the cognitive, the, the, the emotional well-being as well. So it sounds like there's just such a, a plethora of benefits that you're getting out of it. So it's just so dynamic. And then not to mention the places you get to see because you can get yourself to locations and heights that the average person hasn't gone to. And so the, the travel involved with it, um, fantastic. Yeah. Super cool. And you, you know what? I kind of liken it to, um, well, I mean, so much, so many of these outdoor recreation activities as well. I mean, you mentioned the really kind of zoning in and tuning out the outside world. And, you know, I, I like scuba diving and I find I get that a lot from scuba diving. Um, <laughs> you know, there's no, I, I can't be focusing on, you know, the stress of these reports I have to get done or, or what I'm going to cook for dinner when I'm a hundred feet below the ocean and relying on my air tank and my buddy to survive. Um, yeah. It's just so much being in tune with the senses in, in tune with my surroundings and just taking it all in while yeah. I'm there. Could not agree more. And I mean, it really is just you. Yes. I have a partner who is, belaying me but you know they're not right with me there in those moments of decision making or fear um, and similar I imagine to, to scuba diving you're in your world yeah yeah incredible it's it's up to you to persevere and get the job done <laughs> so you had an accident a few years back can you talk about that yeah, you know, of all places, like having it happen at the climbing gym, a place I would spend four days a week and a place you think is, is going to be completely safe, which for the most part it is. Um, and in some ways it's probably good. It, it happened there because I was able to access care really quickly than being out, you know, in the back country or something where there's no cell service. Uh, but it was just 
any old day at the climbing gym. It was um, Sunday and it was the last climb of the day. So um, I wish that I maybe had just called it before that, but I didn't. And so I was uh, lead climbing. And, you know, for those of you who might not be familiar with that, it means that um, I didn't have the protection above from a top rope so that if I fell, you know, if you are on a top rope, you're caught really, really quickly. Whereas if you are lead climbing and clipping or placing your own gear and you fall, you're going to fall the amount of rope that you already have out plus you double it, the amount of rope from when you hit your first piece of gear and it stops you. It's kind of confusing. Illustrations are much better for this, but there is more risk involved at the end of the day when you are lead climbing. Okay. And, and that's what I was doing. Um, so again, it might be hard for a non-climber to visualize, but I was... Uh, probably two thirds of the way up this particular route in the gym. And I was pulling up my rope to clip it into a carabiner, which then would give me some protection. And as I was pulling up the rope and reaching out, I started to fall. So I, you know, lost balance off a tiny little hold I was on and I fell. And what should happen is that you fall until you get down to your next um, quick draw and the rope catches because your partner's belay device seizes up and stops you from falling. And I'm not really sure what happened at all it went too fast, but somewhere in that fall, my instinct caused me to uh, reach out and grab at my rope. Um, because I think somewhere deep in that my brain, I thought I'm going to hit the ground and mm. therefore grab whatever I can in front of me. Um, and I know as a climber, you do not, you don't grab the rope. I, I know that logically. Um, but in that moment, that logic was gone. So I grabbed it. And then when the belay device did tighten up the rope, um, tightened around my hand and so I lost the my thumb came off instantly on the floor of the gym and I didn't realize at the time how badly mangled my third and fourth fingers were I looked down and I think clearly I was in shock in the moment and um I instantly just protected my hand and I didn't want to show anybody and it wasn't till later on when I went to the first hospital that I realized how badly my other fingers had been damaged too. I knew my thumb was off um, and that's how it happened. So. Wow what an, an incredible event. Um, yes. Geez. Horrible. <laughs> oh, so horrible. Yeah it sounds in, in, it's just well it's catastrophic it, it is it is catastrophic. Oh. Um, so, so what happened after that? Did you, you said you went to the hospital? Did you go through Mm -hmm. surgery immediately? Uh, Yeah, I was actually in 10 hours of surgery the first night because they sent me to, um, 
Lionsgate and then the injuries were severe enough. They wanted to get me over to plastics at VGH. And so I don't recall any of it. I got there at 8.30 at night and my surgery went through the night where they reattached my thumb and then they had to amputate the tips of my third and fourth finger um, because they were just too damaged to repair. And all I remember is waking up the next day with my family there and knowing that my thumb had been reattached, but they didn't know if it was going to take. And so I spent a week in the hospital and had two additional surgeries trying to save my thumb. It was up and down throughout the week, very, very emotional, like just constantly wondering, is the blood circulating? Um, is it going to, like how I, I need to keep this thumb and yeah. They used leech therapy. We did all sorts of things to try and get it going. And unfortunately I developed a blood clot in my wrist. Um, I think potentially because of some of the bandaging may have been too tight. And so I went into a surgery on, you know, it was about six days later, another long, long one where they Remove the blood clot and tried to again get that thumb to um, I forget the word re like revascularize something like that. Okay. And it just didn't take, and they knew by the next day that it's got to come off. So April Fool's Day, I got my thumb taken off once again a week later. Um, yeah. So <laughs> it was. It was a bit of a roller coaster throughout that week. You know, it was all the what ifs. Um, I can and, only yeah. imagine the, sorry to cut you off there, but the the yeah. uncertainty, um, the ups yeah. and downs, just like you said, the what ifs. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I know that, especially after having this, how many people, how common it is in day-to-day -day life to lose digits like now everybody it, it just once it happens to you you become more aware of it around you so um I hear of this more often and people go on you know it, it's not an issue um but all I could think of was climbing because I was so fearful that Climbing was going to be gone from my life and all the progress I had made in fighting the dysmorphia was going to be lost. And so I, I did not handle it well initially. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, how could you? How could you handle something like that well when climbing is such a it seems like it's such an important part of, of your life and, and your livelihood and, and when the thought of that gets uh, the thought of that being taken away from you because of mm. something like this happening. Um, I can only imagine how, how devastating that must've felt. It, it's, it was sometimes I'm still so amazed how life has changed because, you know, before we started the podcast today, I was reviewing my intake notes from when they got me to surgery that night and 
I just look at the one line here, she was hysterical. Like those were the words they used to describe me saying that she would commit suicide if the digits were not saved. And when I look at that now, it's just heartbreaking to me because I remember how I felt and the thought, the fact that I was so distraught that I would say those things out loud and be hysterical like that. Um, and now knowing where my life has gotten to, I'm just so grateful for the people and everything else that helped me get from there to where I am now, because you wouldn't have been able to convince me that life could be okay again at that time. Wow. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that as well, Adrian, because I mean, that's a, that's a very personal, personal story. Um, So I really appreciate that. No problem. Now, so I have a question about about that that perspective and that well that outlook really. And I mean, what what changed from you being a hysterical individual in in an ER um, to to going through rehabilitation and and overcoming some of these limitations? Yeah, I try. I was thinking about that ahead of time to come up with you know some concise answer and it was it really was a combination of so many things first and foremost um the people i was surrounded by so my family and friends 100 i i can't imagine people who go through any type of injury surgery who don't have that support the climbing community um, not only in squamish who supported me um, they were amazing. All the people who witnessed the accident reached out to me. Um, I have friends in the community who develop in clean rock climbing routes who were prepping and making a route for me so that when I got back to climbing, I would have something to motivate me to go and climb. And then right away, I was connected um, through friends of friends with a couple people, one particularly in the US, a woman who just the year prior lost the majority, like both of her hands, she was electrocuted and she was a professional boulderer and her hands, I've not seen anything like that probably in my entire life were burnt to a crisp. She thought she was going to lose most of her hands and she lost a lot of it. And she was already back trying again, bouldering a year later. And she and I just, we were of the same age. We were in the same profession at the time. We had such commonalities. And when I saw what she could do and when I saw her hand and knew mine did not look nearly as damaged as that, She honestly just gave me hope, Um, as well as another local mountain climber um, out of North Vancouver who lost all 10 fingers um, years ago on Mount Logan because of um, frostbite. And he was a firefighter and he continued to do his job as a firefighter. 
He climbed mountains again after that, and he had no fingers. And he told me, it was about three days after I came home from the hospital, that I would climb again. He's like, you don't believe it now, but you will. And I can't tell you the impact, like just what that meant to me. So that was the start of how I got better. Wow. So that that peer support, that um, sense of community, um, learning and, 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 and conversing with people who have been through similar strife and, and how it sounds like they've managed to, to work around it. That sounds like it was a really, really beneficial thing for you to have. Absolutely. It was it, it was everything, um, I think. Um, you know, I certainly did my own work because I'm the only one who could do it, but they gave me just that hope that there could be a different way of living and it might not be the same as before. It might look different, um, which it does, but I could still have that in my life. Yeah. Wow. Incredible. So, I mean, by other, by other work, do you mean rehabilitation, all that kind of stuff? Yes. Yeah. So I I think I consulted every type of therapist you could. Um, My sister-in-law is an acupuncturist. And so I had a physio, I had an OT uh, counselor, massage, chiro, like I was doing everything that I could um, to get my hand functioning again, because I knew I needed to start right away in order to get back as much mobility um, as I could get out of it. Um, And then I was also potentially going to have surgery. So I wanted to prepare for that and be healthy um, if I decided to do a toe to thumb transfer uh, because I was convinced getting out of the hospital that that's what I was going to do is that surgery then I'd have a functioning thumb yes I'd be missing a big toe but you know it's a trade-off so I was doing everything I could to be physically mentally healthy um, time wow did you did you end up going through with that surgery nope (laughs) Yes. And again, the best decision. So I went for all the consults, almost had it booked. And luckily the doctor was booking quite in advance. And that time that I had, you know, over the three to four months before I was supposed to go in, um, changed the picture for me. And I'm really glad that I didn't do it because some of the new activities I've taken up, it's really helpful to have a big toe. Um, it's helpful to have it for climbing very much so. And I think I allowed my brain to do what brains do and adapt and figure out how I was going to work with this little stumpy thumb. <laughs> and um, there is almost nothing that I can't do right now. So I've figured out ways around most things. Um, Sometimes there's some tricky stuff where I'm like, 
damn it, if it could just be like half an inch longer or something, but really I've, it doesn't stop me anymore. That's incredible. And you, you mentioned, you mentioned before that a big motivator in the whole rehabilitation process was having a, a, a goal, a, a specified goal that you were working towards. Can you talk a little bit more about what that goal was? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I had my own goals, which was to get back to climbing and I knew early on I wouldn't be able to. So I made little goals of um, hiking the height of Mount Everest, which I did twice over the course of like like two months. It was ridiculous. I would just get up every day and go into the great unknown and hike. And I think that's where I would go to get clarity. Um, Most of the time I do it by myself. I would go with partners here and there, but I wanted to just be out in the open air and be thinking and figuring things out. So I did that, but then a friend of mine was cleaning this wonderful cliff um, full of beautiful cracks that needed to be climbed. And he and another friend took me out there one day and they're like, okay, Adrian, pick the best line on the wall and I'm going to scrub it and I'm going to build anchors on it and it will be yours. And so I definitely did pick the best line on the wall. And amazingly, it was only, so I had the accident in March. In August of that same year, I went out there and I led it. So it means I was back placing my own gear, not on a top rope again. So, and I sent that climb as we call it when you do the climb without falling or without taking and you make it to the top and you're the first person so you get credit with the first ascent of that climb and so I named it one thumb up because obviously and you know I said I would give it two thumbs up if I could because it's such a beautiful climb that I can only give it one thumb up so a little play on words that I also got to the top using only one thumb and amazingly enough it was nominated in Squamish we do have um, climbing awards because developers are, it's so prolific around here we have a huge community of people who develop new rock climbs and so we won um, for the best route of that year and then when our most recent guidebook came out last year very giant thick guidebook my climb is in there it's a top 100 climb in Squamish so that's pretty exciting it really is a beautiful rock so yeah super cool was that the golden scrub award or something yes I just, yes. just read about it before we recorded yeah this. yeah so I share that with my friend Chris who did he put the hard work in of taking leaf blowers out and cleaning it putting the hardware on it and but he was kind enough to give it to me as my first ascent and you know to get back into climbing again so, wow yeah. very yeah. cool that's awesome what a cool story so i mean just just kind of um i don't know synthesizing that a little bit um you know you had it, it sounds like you had kind of the big long-term goal uh, of of that route of really re-engaging in climbing as a whole 
but you also had all these little kind of micro step-by-step short-term goals that led to that along the way. Yes. Yes. And then, I mean, even that climb itself was another stepping stone to leading climbs that were more at the grade I was used to leading because that climb was easy. It's rated five, seven. So easy. It's a beginner climb. But when I had my accident, I was leading much harder than that. So that also told me, okay, if you can do that, then maybe next month you can try a five, eight or a five, nine and so on and build back up that way as well at the same time learning how to reuse um, climbing gear because you need your thumb for a lot of climbing gear. Um, I I wasn't sure if I would be able to repel anymore which is when you go down the mountain on your rope um, you know dangling in air. Um, I wasn't sure the kind of grip I would just be able to have on on any of the equipment so there was I could do it, there's still a learning curve um, as to how to manage all the systems again. So that was another goal too. Right, so still that wasn't even the, you know, the end game wasn't necessarily climbing that route. There was still more goals, more challenges for you to, uh, to lean into. Many more, I wanted to go back and climb some of my favorite or the routes I was most proud of prior to the accident, I wanted to see, can I still do them now minus a few bits of fingers and a a thumb, you know, do I still have the ability? I think I was also trying to assess, do I need to maybe lower my expectations of myself and and look at climbing in a different way than I did before? Um, And would I be okay with that, you know, with not challenging myself in the same way. Interesting. Now, I mean, and you talked about, you know, not knowing or, or, you know, how you would be able to handle the equipment and and, and the ropes and and all of that kind of thing. Do you use any adaptations of adaptive equipment to to compensate right now? Um, Not really. I tried in the beginning. I I went and had these beautiful prosthetic fingertips made, made, which sit, in a drawer in my room because I hate them. (laughs) They just fall off and they look nice, but they serve zero functional purpose. And I spent a lot of time with some, uh, with a prosthetics um, company, I'm not sure the term in the city uh, in Vancouver, trying to figure out if they could make me some sort of thumb. So I um, tried a mechanical, prosthetic as well um, out of sort of Seattle area that did not work because I don't have enough of a thumb for it to really attach. I needed to have a bit more length. So that didn't work. We tried um, various attachments where it was almost like a glove that had sort of a thumb attached to it. But because there's no feeling there. There's nothing to connect, you know, the brain, the nerves to what I was wanting the thumb to do. It was all cosmetic. Um, So I don't wear anything. And I mean, I, 
when I first got out of the hospital, I all I wanted to do was get prosthetic. I did not want anyone to see my hand. I was so mortified that someone would have to look at my hand. And it didn't take long for me to not care, like maybe two or three months where I'm just like, forget it. This is how my hand looks. So deal with it. Um, but as far as climbing, I've changed a few devices. Um, I haven't had to really adapt. And there was a wonderful company out of Europe that helped made an adaptive crack climbing glove for me, which was really great. Um, but other than that, I, I've learned to capitalize on what my left hand can do as well and really um, making more use of my left hand now. Wow. Very cool. So just coming up with your own behavioral strategies, different modifications that you can make without yeah. the need for any other equipment. Yes. And sometimes it works better than others. Like, you know, when you're in the midst of trying to clip a rope into a carabiner and you can't push the carabiner open because you don't have a thumb, sometimes I'll try to like push my head against it and so on. And you're like, this I don't want to fall right now. I really need to clip this rope. So there's still a level of frustration that happens. Some days I can laugh about it. Other days I can get really mad still and have a tantrum, you know, if I'm just at frustrated at, you know, what my hand won't do. But for the most part, you know, it hasn't held me back. I can still climb fairly hard so well it sounds like it yeah and that's uh, that's really cool and I, I want to just come back to what you said just a few moments ago as well um you mentioned a, a degree of being self-conscious about how your thumb would look and you said within two or three months or so you really had accepted it how did that affect your or, or did it affect your previous feelings and previous experiences of having body dysmorphia? Yeah, yeah. This is the really interesting part, and it, it's the part that sounds that might sound a bit like uh, kooky or out there. So sometimes I hesitate to to speak about it, but. Um, when I had the second surgery in the hospital, so the day we discovered the blood clot and I went into sort of an emergency surgery, um, I spent seven hours in the ICU, just me and my nurse there and leeches all over my hand. And I was, normally you would have been probably out cold with all the anesthetic going through me and so on, but something happened in that hospital room, in the ICU, I don't know what, um, where I knew I was going to be okay. Um, there was, again, sounds crazy, but a lot of energy and light um, sort of flowing through me for a good portion of the night. And then when dawn started to happen. I vividly remember this and the nurse was checking the leeches and nothing was happening. And I could feel this 
you know, that light leaving my body and a sense of coolness and so on coming over me. And I knew it was done. And I looked at her and I, I said that to her and she pretty much nodded. And I'm like, it's okay. It's actually going to be okay. Because what had happened also during that night, I said to my nurse, is there a baby in here? I can hear somebody crying. She's like, no, there's no, that's, they have their own, the NICU for babies. There's nobody in here. And Joel, I just remember a baby coming around the corner by my hospital bed. And it was me as a little tiny baby and me as an adult picking that baby up and comforting her, which was very, um, sort of profound to have because I hadn't been very much of a comfort to myself most of my life. And just something flipped in that time where I knew maybe not right away, but everything was going to be okay. When I got out of the hospital, it was not okay for a little while. Like it really certainly wasn't, but something changed. And if you ask family or friends, they will tell you the same, that I'm a different person than who I was before. And so many of the behaviors associated with dysmorphia have, for the most part, gone away. There's still some lingering things there, some little glitches. Um, I know it sounds cliche to say that you wouldn't change a thing you know but I honestly feel in some way I traded a thumb for my freedom from that cage that I was in I really in some way believe that and so I don't know if I would go back and get my thumb back if I had to go live in the brain that I was living in before so yeah wow it made a difference yeah. That's, that's, wow. I, I, I have yeah. shivers. I have shivers right now. Okay. <laughs> it's <That's>... really weird. <laughs> I know. I know. I don't know what happened. <laughs> you know, you, you know, it's, it's just, it sounds like such a divine spiritual experience. Um, I don't know if those are the right words, but I know. Well, see, I didn't want it. I didn't necessarily buy into that. So when I saw my surgeon, I'm like, I need to know the names of the drugs you gave me <laughs> because I'm going to look them up and see if like hallucinations or so on. I just, I was trying to find an excuse for why that happened because I'm not necessarily religious or, or spiritual, but I don't care really what happened, <laughs> whatever it did, um, change some type of neural pathway. I don't know. And 100% for the better. Like I, yeah, I miss my thumb, but I don't miss it enough to go back, um, to whatever, to the life I was leading before. Wow. Very powerful. It's, it's so interesting. Cause I work you know, I'm, I'm an OT and I work occasionally yeah. with, with, with cancer survivors and so often, and, and it's, it's with cancer survivors in particular, people who have been very, very close to death, really. Um, invariably, they tell me similar 
perspective shifts that they have experienced from having gone through the strife that they have gone through, quite like yourself, about coming out on the other side of it and having no regrets, not have not not wanting to have changed anything about it because of the new disposition and the new perspective that they have on life as a whole. Absolutely. I think it was one of my therapists who asked me, have you heard about post post traumatic growth, um, as opposed to PTSD, post traumatic growth and and I did a little reading up on that, and you know, I wonder if if that was some of what happened because there are still similarities to my life before all the good stuff, but things I'm doing things now, I would not have thought I could do three years ago. Um, life is quite quite different. Um, I can yeah. only imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, you know, taking that, taking that, you know, new perspective, um, ability to persevere and overcome limitations. Has this been beneficial or, or applicable to your professional life at all? Yeah. Yeah. I was, um, before the accident, I was, uh, serving tables at a fine dining restaurant up in Whistler. So that was another thing when I lost good portion of your hand, you're like, okay, right hand dominant, going to be hard to hold a tray, going to be hard to pick up plates. What am I going to do, you know, for my livelihood? And I was wanting a change anyway. I loved what I did, but I knew I wasn't in it for the long haul. And I, I stuck with it because it was just the known, it was comforting to me. And this forced me to consider other options and has got me to where I am today. You know, I was, one of my goals was to go back and pre, to be able to show people I could still serve. And I did do that. I went back for about six months and it was really hard, but I had so much support there. Um, and I figured out ways to serve tables and hold on to things without dropping them all over the guests. But at the same time, I start to look for other work. And I walked into an employment services office and broke down in tears with my case manager because I didn't know what I was going to do. And they looked at my resume and said, you know, you should apply for the facilitator role that we've got here. And I thought, well, I've been a teacher, maybe this is something I could do. And I did apply and got that and worked into the case manager role to program coordinator, doing that through back in motion. And then most recently took a role as the corporate trainer. And so again, I would have never thought three years ago that I would be doing a completely different job that I absolutely love that suits me so well. Wow, incredible. So it's, you know, not only did the accident um, lead to so many different perspectives, physical goals, goals with respect to hobbies and recreation, but, but so much so much growth with respect to professional development and, and, and your career and, and, and your overall trajectory in life. Yes. 
and having the confidence to, to do these things and to apply for these jobs and know that I have that ability because I certainly didn't always have, once I left teaching, you know, I, I defined myself by that career a lot and I didn't have that any longer. And so I think I did lose some confidence in my ability and, um, and that's come back again. And so I'm really grateful to have walked into the Work BC Center and, and because I probably wouldn't have done that otherwise, you know, I might've found a different job, but I probably wouldn't have gone into there to talk to somebody. Wow. It's amazing when you, you open one door, how many other doors that might lead to. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like the right place at the right time kind of situation there. Certainly. Very cool. So, uh, you know, we're almost out of time here, Adrian. This has been a, a, a great conversation. I've really, really enjoyed it. Um, one, one last question. Um, you know, it, it, do you have any advice out there or any words of wisdom for anyone who has gone through something similar, whether it be a, a physical issue or, or, or a mental issue? Um, you know, you know, anyone suffering from, from a limitation that's affecting their ability to do something that they love? Yeah. Um, well, a couple of things, I guess. I mean, if, if, if it's for somebody who it's just happened to, um, just to know that the resilience is, is in you, you know, that human spirit is there. And I didn't know I didn't know if I had that and it is there and it, that will come out. So to trust that it exists and it will show itself to you, that would be one of the first things um, to lean on to people who are around you in whatever form that looks like, you know, like we don't try to do it yourself. Um, that would be, second um, bit of advice and then to know that I guess just to find some hope and to know that you will find something else that you love um, that life will be different but it can be better um, and even the way you look at what you love can change and you might find new things that you love because I do see climbing in a different light now. It's less, um, it's not less important. It's less all, it's not as powerful um, in my life anymore because I've found other things. And then if you are considering having surgeries or anything else um, in your journey to make sure you've given yourself enough time to live with your injury, um, if that's possible before committing to something um, major, just take a step back maybe first um, and think it through. So that would be my advice. I love it. Such great advice. Take a step back. Um, you know, don't, don't shy away from support and, and just have the hope, have the faith um, that if you do persevere, you know, there's, there's going to be light at the end of the tunnel. It sounds like. 
Yes, there definitely is. And there will be people to pick you up um, along the way and to remind you, you know, that life is absolutely uh, worth living. Wow. Thanks so much, Adrian. Uh, really, really appreciate it. You know, I, like I said, this has been a great, great, great conversation, um, really eye-opening, really inspiring for me. And I know uh, anyone else out there listening will be inspired as well. Thanks for having me on, Joel. I appreciate it. Okay, great. Thanks a lot. You take care. What did I tell you, folks? Adrian Wheaton, such an inspiring story. I, m- I mentioned during that conversation, I had a bit of a shiver go down my spine when she was mentioning some of the stuff that she had been through. And, you know, if you could see me right now, I'm smiling ear to ear, just a nice warm feeling that I have about, again, about perseverance, overcoming obstacles it really hits home to me. So I really hope anyone out there listening did benefit from that. It's such an amazing, amazing life story. And I know Adrian's been inspiring to others and and will continue to do so going forward so just remember don't take things for granted you know life is short and if you are going through something just know you know there's support out there for you whether that be support from friends family the healthcare system uh mental support emotional support physical support spiritual support so reach out to anyone in your circle if you are going through something and you feel like you might need a bit of a helping hand. Reach out to me if you like to. Feel free to email me, joel.blant at backinmotion.com. And stay tuned for the next episode, which will be your way in a few weeks' time, featuring Vicki Forsyth. Vicki is the Vice President of Business development at Back in Motion. She has an amazing story as well, and she's just a great person to talk to. I've gotten to know Vicki um, a lot closer over the last year here at Back in Motion, uh, working with her on a few projects, and just a great person to sit down with, always smiling, always positive, so really excited to sit down with her and and, and talk about all of these things, her, her story and and where she finds optimism, positivity, and hope in life. So stay tuned for that. Take care, folks. Enjoy your day.